I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we start a five-part series on the transcendental desires and look at each one, their opposites, and see how their opposites are not the most distorted versions. So today we're talking about love, hate, and fear. Hey Jenna, I actually I found out something pretty cool from Tony's podcast, your husband's podcast about space. What? Yes. Did you hear that last week two satellites got married? No. Yeah. The wedding wasn't that good, but the reception was incredible. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to episode 13. What? We be should have produced this lucky. earlier and released it on friday we are recording this on friday the 13th and we do not lie (laughs) because lying is bad um jenna you want to start with your joy junk jesus i lost my joy junk jesus hold on i found my joy junk jesus (laughs) it's my cat um my joy is that last week um tony said we were going on a secret date and so we started driving and we ended up at somebody's house, and I was thoroughly confused. And he said we were picking somebody up. And then we opened the door, and it was a surprise baby shower that my Aww, teens put on for me. That's awesome. It was very cute. Oh, it was so cute. They made me eat baby food, though, and that wasn't cute because I'm <laughs> nauseous, and oh, I no. almost threw up. So that wasn't fun. But it was very, very sweet, and it was a very good joy. Um, my Jesus was that yesterday... Um, Somebody just randomly texted me. We don't talk very often, but they texted me and felt like the spirit was telling them to um, just speak truth into my heart and um, to give me one particular word of just trust. And it literally made me start crying. I don't know if it was because I have so many emotions going through me right now (laughs) or hormones, but um, it was just a very, very beautiful moment of having somebody just reach out to me like that and just know that the spirit needed to speak to me through them. So that was my Jesus, and my junk is that life is so incredibly busy, and I am getting lazy on my prayer life, Um, but it's just busy season, and I feel like everybody's in this season right now, and that's my junk. I just want to slow down and take a 30-hour nap, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, So that's my joy, my junk, and my Jesus. My other joy is my cat, and he's being so cute. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, my joy, one of my joys is your cat too. Um, it's been a very silly, fun morning recording this. Um, we also think there's an owl in the chimney. Oh my gosh, there is an owl. I think it's more of a pigeon. Yeah. But we're calling it an owl. We think it's looking for someone because it's like, who? Um, (laughs) but, so if you hear that in the background, that's, you know, well, I think it might be gone because I haven't heard it, but, um, maybe it was on the chimney. But my joy is also that we moved. My wife and I bought a house. We finally moved into it. Um, And it's been so awesome living there. And I just can't believe we live there. It's so, so incredibly blessed just to be there. Um, The junk is, you know, you live in a house and then you start to find things that don't work. And so our water heater is currently not working. Um, And... We tried to do be some be nice and like leave all our boxes out on the porch um, for like people to come pick up, but we didn't know it was gonna rain this morning. Oh no! So they're not all ruined, just the ones like on top. But um, so if you were one of those people that are coming to get boxes, know Oops. that we did not intentionally leave them out there in the rain. Um, but my Jesus moment was like last week or the week before. Uh, it's been since be- since we recorded the last episode. Um, I was just really, really overwhelmed with all the move stuff and all the people coming to the house to renovate before we moved in. And um, some of my team at the parish, especially my intern, Vanessa, um, noticed that and they were like, hey, uh, don't come on this day. We've got you covered for this mm-hmm. ministry. You know, don't don't come on this day. And so I, I had a very, um, a very um, easier time. I don't know if that was proper English. <laughs> I had a much better time or- organizing my life and taking some time to relax and decompress from all the being overwhelmed um and i got to go on a camping trip with my guy friends uh, right before fun. we moved that was another joy uh, in joshua tree so i got to do some rock climbing and see them so that was all just such a blessing um so today um we're actually starting a series 
uh, we've been really looking for a series to do. And we mentioned this in the last episode, um, something that I had really been thinking and praying about um, lately. And we decided like, hey, why don't we just uh, dive into this as a series and really explore it instead of trying to tackle it all in one episode. Um, So basically what we're going to be doing for the next five episodes, we're going to be taking a look at what are called Plato's Five Transcendental Desires. And we're going to dive into each one and show how... um, There is an opposite that is very commonly given. If you were to say, like, what is the opposite of this? Like, someone would say, oh, it's obviously that. But actually, that there are these lukewarm distortions that are actually the worst alternatives. And there are things that are very pervasive in our culture. So to give you an example, um, or to tell you kind of what they are, those five transcendental desires, these are things that Plato, the philosopher, said, every single person in history, in the world, desires these things. No matter where they are, no matter if they're religious or not, Everyone has a desire for perfect love, perfect being, perfect truth, perfect goodness, and perfect beauty. Um, And so each one of those we're going to be focusing on in an episode. Um, And so today we're talking about love. Um, And love, if I were to ask you, Jenna, what's the opposite of love? What would you say? Love, love, love. Hate. Hate. That's what we would commonly say. And that's, you know, they're always diametrically opposed. However, hate is still an impassioned action, just like love is. And it may be um, far away from it on the spectrum, but um, the biggest distortion of love, um, I think, is fear. And so we're going to be talking about the relationship between those three things and um, how that idea of fear is just very, very prevalent in our culture and in our conversations and in life and how it's very opposed to love because it, it basically freezes us and causes us not to be... Um, mobile or not to be acting on anything. Um, And this kind of comes from an idea of like um, St. Paul versus the apostles. So like St. Paul in his conversion, like he was a hater of Christians and he was out there acting upon that hatred, killing Christians. Like the first Christian martyr was died at St. Stephen died at the hands of St. Paul Mm -hmm. before he was St. Paul. Um, All he needed was that turnaround, that conversion moment And that impassioned action was just redirected into the right place. Mm -hmm. However, the apostles, after the resurrection, they were just stuck in the upper room. Um, And maybe not after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, sorry. Um, They were just stuck in the upper room. They were immobile. They were afraid. They weren't doing anything. Um, They were just kind of laying low. Uh, And that's kind of the difference we're talking about. And not until the Holy Spirit came and invigorated them and they had a sense of, where this direction was, where this purpose was, were they able to kind of go in in that direction? Um, This also comes from that passage in Revelations, uh, or Revelation, sorry, Um, just did a night on this last night, and I was like, don't call it Revelation, and Jesus is humbling me because I'm an idiot. So, um, Revelation 3, 16, you've probably heard this before, um, or 3, 15 to 16, where God says, I know your works, I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Yeah, that's hard because it seems that God would rather us be completely opposed to him or completely following him because at least we're exercising the gift of free will he's given us instead of just freezing and doing nothing and not exercising that gift. So that is all this whole series is about and how that frozen part, that full distortion, which today is fear when we're talking about love and fear. Um, how that is really the thing that can lead us away from God the most and can really just paralyze us in life. Cool. So today we're focusing on love. What is love? Um, There's going to be so many songs that jump into my head. I know. It's going to be crazy. Um, okay. So our best image of love is the Trinity, right? Because yeah. It says in scripture, um, in 1 John chapter 4, um, verse 8, It says, whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. And so in order to understand this desire that we have, we have to understand that it is connected to God. Even if people aren't religious, even if they're not, um, don't consider themselves spiritual or in a relationship with God, like that ability that we have, it comes from God. Like it cannot be separated from it. Uh, And this is how we can understand the Trinity best, is that the Trinity... God himself, three persons, one divine being, um, is God the Father, who is the lover, God the Son, who is the beloved, and the love in between them is so strong and so palpable that it becomes the embodiment, the person of 
the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's a model for all of our relationships, that there is a lover, there is a beloved, and there is the love in between them. Uh, in a marriage, you know, the husband is the lover, the wife is the beloved, and the children that they bring forth are the love in between them. And they are three distinct persons, but they are one divine marriage, divinely ordained marriage. Um, and so that's kind of how we can see God, um, how we do see God in the Catholic tradition. It's just hard to separate um, the idea of there being three separate gods um, because we don't believe that. We believe that God is one, he is whole, but he has three um, persons or the way that it was translated in the early church is ways of being. Um, and so that's what love is. That love is completely outside of oneself. Um, hatred is also completely outside of oneself. Like, yeah, you're, hold, you're harboring it, but like when you're acting upon hatred, when you're acting upon love, that's all about people other than you. Um, you know, they're focused on other people out there where fear is all focused on me. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I don't want to do because I'm afraid of this. Yeah, we... Mm. I mean, we see that so often in our common day. Common day? What the heck am I trying to say? <laughs> Daily lives. Um, and I don't know why this just jumped in my head, but when the shooting at the school happened and the police officer just stood outside and he yeah. was so afraid. The Parkland one, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, then he was too afraid, but he was being selfish and not stepping in to go rescue people and save yeah. people. And we do it. Fear immobilizes us and stops us from acting, um, and being, what's the word? Self. I can't think today, you guys. It's a problem. <laughs> but yeah, isn't it Sal- interesting? Sal- Sal- Salvic? Sal- Salvific? Salvific? <laughs> We're going to make up words. That's but a yeah. word. It, it, it is a word. Yeah. Salvific. But I like that it's word. It's interesting that he became the central focus of that tragedy. Yeah. Because the people who responded in love and tried to rescue those other people, as there are always stories of in, mm-hmm. these, in these types of situations, um, they were talked about a little bit. Um, the shooters, obviously, the people who acted in complete hatred, they were talked about a little bit. But the main figure came to be this person who was completely immobilized in fear. And I think we recognize in moments like that that this is a very distorted version of of love or of action. Yeah. Because it's complete inaction. And it was completely labeled as something like that shouldn't have happened. That was wrong um, by a lot of people. Um, and regardless of like the details as to why he did that, like, you know, um, there are a lot of different stories as to why that happened, but still like, that's, I think why it struck us so much. Um, St. John, Pope St. John Paul II, um, said in his, his Wednesday audiences that became theology of the body, that the opposite of love is use. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in a sense that's true, but I don't want to correct a saint. Like I'm not correcting. I'm adding, I'm adding to, I'm (laughs) adding to, because it's not wrong uh, in that sense and what he's talking about. Yeah. But in an overarching sense, I think we use because we're afraid of actual sacrificial love. Yes. But use is still an action. Yes. Fear is like um, that opposing, most opposing source of that use. And so once we put it into a use, like using someone, then I would say you're using it to go in the other direction, that that is really hatred for that person. You're not willing to sacrifice for them. You're, you're doing something for selfish reasons, mm-hmm. but you're still acting upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, it's the hot versus the cold versus the lukewarm, which is fear. Um, that's complete inaction. Like all of these things that we're going to be talking about, all of these lukewarm distortions in these next few episodes, um, they all involve uh, basically settling for something less than we deserve or than we were created for. Um, and there are ways that the opposite can be something that is beneficial or something that is seen as good in a sense because of the way that it still involves passion to action. So for instance, like in scripture, um, there are passages that say like hate sin or hate what is evil mm. um, because that is still an impassioned action and you're, you're, you're putting your will opposed to that thing. Mm-hmm. You're exercising your will which is that gift that God gave us, probably the greatest gift that God gave us. Without our will, we can't freely love. Without our will, we can't freely make the choice to pursue God in a relationship with him or not. Like we would just be robots. And so that really is our our most precious gift. And all of these distortions, A, they're completely prevalent in our culture, and B, they involve that complete relegating of choice. Like you are just settling for 
what is most comfortable or what um, everyone is telling you to do or what the popular trend is and it doesn't involve any action. Whether it's selfless or completely selfish action, it's not anything. It's just complete inaction. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> thinking about our society almost... Some, I, there is this theme throughout our society of just not really being passionate about a lot. It's yeah, just kind of what what we're supposed to do, we do. Yeah. And what we're supposed to achieve, we achieve because we have to or we're told we need to. And there's not um, more of a drive behind it other yeah. than you're told to do this. Yeah. Which is, Satan's doing his work real well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see it because it is created this sense of fear of failure mm-hmm. in our culture. I'm, seeing, I'm thinking schoolers. about a lot of young people, yeah. high schoolers, and, and even young adults who, <clears throat> there's this, this huge immense pressure to, because college has become so expensive and so competitive, um, especially in the last like 15 years, more so, that... Um, you have to get the best grades, do the best in sports, have the most extracurricular activities, and there becomes this complete pressure to perform. Um, and this, there's no ever a conversation, um, you know, happening in the culture or that I see happening um, in families as often as I used to, of you know, oh, what are you really passionate about? What do you yeah. really want to do? Do you really want to be on the sports team because it's something that you love, or is this just because we got to get you into college and we got to pay for it? Um, because we're supposed to do that. Because you're supposed to have the highest paying job possible. You're supposed to succeed. Um, and I'm reminded of that quote from Mother Teresa. Like, God did not call you to be successful. He called you to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and But so you get so success driven mm-hmm. that this pressure creates this immense fear. And I think that's why we have such an increase in depression and anxiety in our culture. I think also it has to do with social mm-hmm. media. Because yeah. you're constantly being compared to other people who are performing better than you yeah. or who have more popularity, friends, followers, you know, success, whatever it might be. But all of that stems from this idea that um, we are not making the choice for ourselves, that we're buying into this choice that the culture is giving us. Um, as if it's already been made for us to say, this is what it looks like to be successful. This is what it looks like to have a good life, to be happy, um, to have a, a loving life or a life filled with love means that you're successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> love in, in terms of our culture is all attached to success, happiness. Um, you know, there was a recent um, YouTube video by Father Mike Schmitz where, or no, it was a homily in his podcast homilies where he, he started... Um, by by asking a question or or posing a reflection that um, if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you be? And he said, most people would say, I'd rather be somewhere else doing something else Mm -hmm. when they're asked that question. Very few people would have the honest um, ability to say, right here is exactly where I'd want to be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, Our inclination is to think like, oh, I could do anything. Like, where could I go? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very... um, in line with this type of, of reality that if we're really honest with ourselves and what the culture is telling us, like, this is what you have to do. This is the complete lack of choice you have. Um, but if we really take a step back and say like, okay, what would I rather be doing? Um, or anytime I'm in a really meaningful moment, can I really enjoy it? Or am I thinking, Oh, I'd rather be home getting all this stuff done because I've got to perform at the highest level. Like it can go both ways. So it's fear is very pervasive in the culture in, in this sense. And in our lives, um, Pope St. Gregory the Great, he said, the proof of love is in the works. Where love exists, it works Sorry. great things. But when it ceases to act, it ceases to exist. I you said proof is in the pudding. The proof is also in the pudding. I just totally messed up that whole quote. I'm <laughs> so, so sorry. No, you're good. The proof of love is in the works and the pudding. <laughs> where love exists, it works great things. But when it ceases to act, it ceases to exist. Like love is action. Like you cannot love... Um, if you're not acting upon it, if you're not, if it's not a constant choice, love is an ability. It's not a feeling. Um, it's a choice. It's an action. And so all these different things, um, are not, we don't see in our culture. We don't see that sense of, you know, informed, passionate choice about the things that I love, the things I want to pursue. It's all about 
how am I comparing to person A or person B? Mm-hmm. You know, we see that in marriages all the time now. Oh yeah, see that the the idea mm-hmm. that love is just a feeling that love um, isn't something that you <laughs> work towards or isn't an action, and then we see so many marriages fall apart because of it. And then there's oh well, the love was just not there anymore, or um, there just wasn't the passion that's there anymore. Yeah. And it's this misconception of really what love truly is and how we need to be acting and moving and working. Yeah. It's a, it's hard. It's not <laughs> supposed to be easy. Love is not supposed to be easy. Yeah. Look at the way of the cross. Like yeah. love takes work and the most incredible sacrifice <laughs> that you can imagine. And I'm being reminded of the episode, it was the last episode, the passion, disillusionment, and joy cycle we talked mm-hmm. about, um, that most people associate love with that passion stage. That's yeah. the only version of love they know or pursue. Um, and that really is not the fullness of love. Um, it's not pure sacrificial love because um, s- sacrifice doesn't feel like sacrifice when it's when there's passion in it. You know, when you're pursuing your passions, like obstacles don't seem like obstacles; they seem like little bumps in the road. Yeah. You know, but when you get in that disillusionment phase sacrifice is hard you know you're you really don't want to put in that effort because you feel like totally burnt out at it you feel totally overwhelmed by it um i'm not talking just about marriages i'm talking about any relationship any passion any hobby anything that's worthwhile pursuing even your relationship with god i hear all the time um i don't really feel like close to god because i don't feel him Mm -hmm. you know i don't feel him i felt him on retreat but i don't feel him now and it's like to recognize that like god is not a feeling he's a person and he's a person that is the embodiment of love. And love is about action. It's about sacrifice. And so what are you sacrificing in terms of your time, your comfort, your willingness to go pursue him? And are you pursuing him for your own selfish interests or are you pursuing him out of a selfish desire to, to love him um, and experience that love in return, which is that free constant gift? Um, but most times I think we, we approach life and our relationship with God and relationships with that selfish sense of love. Um, St. Augustine called it cupiditas. He said there's only two types of action in life. Um, This is paraphrase, obviously. But caritas, which is that love that comes from God that is is divine and that is always outside of ourselves. And then cupiditas, which is where the word or the person named Cupid comes from, which is selfish. And it's always inward. And it spirals inward until you become completely obsessed with self. We see this in addictions. We see this with pornography. We see this with um, relationships that are purely physical, that they just cycle inward and they, they kind of spiral downhill. And eventually you realize like this is all about selfishness. And then it's pervaded by fear um, that completely takes us over. St. Thomas Aquinas actually has a quote about that fear is such a powerful emotion for humans that when we allow it to take us over, it drives compassion right out of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is definitely, I mean, that word compassion means to suffer with, passion and, and com- com- suffer with. Um, suffering is not something we run toward as a culture, but we need to recognize it's inseparable from love. And fear is the thing that tells us we shouldn't suffer ever. And if we buy into that lukewarm alternative to love, uh, we can really see, I think, how distorted it is. Uh, the most opposing thing we can probably think of for real authentic love because it completely paralyzes us. I was just thinking how inconvenience also flows into this. <clears throat> how if, you know, fear is something that is very selfish because we're looking at ourselves rather than outward like love is. Mm-hmm. Um, how anything that is inconvenient for us is something that if you're not truly loving and sacrificing then you're not going to enter into that inconvenience yeah and so fear (laughs) when placed with something that's inconvenient fear you you sit there and say yeah no i don't i'm too you know i won't do this because well i'm too afraid that if i do that People look at me weird, and so inconvenience turns into also that kind of trickle effect of what happens when we are not being yeah sacrificial and yeah. entering into that. I mean, think of John three sixteen, like for God so loved the world that He gave. Mm-hmm. You know, He gave, and not only did How He give, He gave His only begotten Son. Like 
what a sacrificial gift. Um, yeah. Mother Teresa says, um, perfect love does not mean things will be perfect. Love to be real, it must cost, it must hurt, it must mm-hmm. empty us of self. Um, and that is so true in, in marriages, especially in like holy lasting marriages, that like you're, you're constantly emptying yourself of your own selfishness, your own desires, because you are forsaking them for the good of the other. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, Thomas Aquinas, to love is to will the good of the other. Um, so I think the question we have to ask, like, what is love and how do we see fear in our culture? Like, what is real love? And we've, we've danced around this, but like this sacrificial idea of love is something that is not pursued by our culture. Um, Sitting here being exhausted, I was thinking of how pregnancy is really inconvenient, but how whenever, if I talk to somebody that is not practicing in their faith at all, or in another woman that is my age, it's typically, they, they, they say really weird stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. it's very, it's very like, oh, well, that's weird, or, um... They're almost afraid to touch my stomach, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. They're yeah. afraid of that life. They're fa- afraid of that um, inconvenience of a child. And I know that when Tony and I were, you know, discerning if we um, should start a family, it those thoughts of inconvenience, those thoughts of fear of like, oh, well, I'm going to lose my life. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. lose all of my ability to do the things that I want to do. Um that hold you back from entering into that moment of yeah. let's let's create a family. But it's really interesting of how our our society is so scared of everything yeah. because we don't know what will happen, we don't know the result or we won't like we said in the beginning, we won't be able to perform to our high, highest level that we're told <clears throat> we need to perform. Yeah. Um and so pregnancy is very <laughs> very enlightening in, in this mm-hmm. area just because it is. You have to sacrifice a lot to bring life into the world. You have to sacrifice one my body, um, and being you know tired and nauseous all the time, or um, things hurt sometimes, yeah. or you know stretch marks happen, and it's yeah. almost like this idea of beauty is warped in my brain too and changed. Um, but yeah, pregnancy is a good way to explain. what real love looks like too yeah i mean and when you think about people's um aversion to children in the past like the prevalency of abortion in the past for example um most people especially before abortion was legal um and before the birth control pill was um was invented most people who were um finding means to have an abortion were doing so um because of um, social stigma like maybe the Mm -hmm. child came about in some very inappropriate or um um unfavorable way and not that that obviously is an excuse at all but like that was the primary reason that you see like you know people doing that very secretly right now it's a matter of convenience yeah you know um the most common i think reason is you know oh i'm i'm not ready because i want to have a career first yeah i want to graduate from high from college first from high school (laughs) yes graduate from high school first (laughs) Um, but um, from college first, you know, things like that. And, and um, I remember a similar situation when Eric and I were first married. Um, we, Erica, my wife has lupus. And so we were um, not really able to have children right away. But when people would ask us, when you're going to have kids, we would just say, oh, we're kind of, um, you know, whenever God wants. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the easy way of not going into the detail of the fact that we really couldn't right mm-hmm. then, um, which was kind of a very difficult time um, to, to really navigate. But I told that to someone and I was like, oh, whenever God wants. And they looked at me and they were like, why wouldn't God want you to have kids? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, like what a good, good thing to remember, you know? And that was really comforting for me because to know like God isn't going to give us this desire that he's not ready to fulfill. It just might not be right now. And when that opportunity finally came, you know, to where she was off medication, her body was doing better. Her lupus was basically inactive at that point. Um, you know, that we were able to conceive and now, you know, she's pregnant as well. And so like that, that real gift of whatever that is. But if we'd been looking merely as a matter of convenience, um, you know, not as a sacrificial desire to really bring life into the world, then, you know, we might never have kids. And I think that it's why you have a growing 
a prevalency of um, one-child homes of only children. Um, you have a prevalency of, <clears throat> excuse me, of people not having kids. Um, and also just a sense of like, in general relationships, there's this fear of, of sacrifice or, or inconvenience that I was just listening to a podcast yesterday. Um, they were talking about, um, I think like authentic friendship or something. And, and they had quoted a study that said, um, asked a certain amount of people, you know, how many people in your life do you have? Um, that you tell everything to, that you can go to with absolutely anything, no judgment, you can be completely honest to, um, and they're, you know, constantly there, um, no matter when you need them, no matter what you're doing. And the most common answer was zero. Hmm. Like most people had no one that they felt in their life. They probably have people, but they, in terms of what they felt, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that has to do with fear. Mm Um, so love, um, you know, there are four words in Greek for love in the Bible. Um, they're all translated to love in English, but they're all different types of love. Which um, makes it so difficult. I love ice cream. I love lamp. Yes, yeah. I love my wife. All three different things, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> so there's um, the word storgia, um, which is a Greek word for familial love or natural love, meaning that like um, the love between a, f- uh, a father and a son or a mother and a daughter, like family, uh, it comes about naturally because you are in a family together. You, you have a natural connection. Then there's philia, which is brotherly love, which is the, the love that we have between our friends, between um, the people um, that are close to us. Um, there's eros, or eros um, which is that erotic love or that um, passionate sexual love, which is very physically driven. Um, and that is the love that I think a lot of people use in terms of the relationship they're looking for now. Um, when we say, I love this or that, you know, you have a, um, an inclination toward or a desire for something, a food, you know, a habit, a hobby, whatever it is. That's really the, the word that people are using. And then um, agape or agape, depending on your pronunciation, is the fourth one. And that is sacrificial love. And the model of that is Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. It's not, it cannot be disconnected from suffering and from sacrifice. Um, and a, and a, a, a loving relationship, a real loving sacrificial relationship has to encompass aspects of all of those, but especially that sacrificial love. Um, if that's absent, then it is is not real authentic love. Um, and you've probably been in relationships before or in friendships before where it's very one-sided. Um, you can go back and listen to our episode on friendship where we talk about that um, or our relationship on uh, our episode on relationships and dating. I think it was episode four. Um, and we talk about these things like it, it can't be something that you are constantly feeling like you're the only one sacrificing. You're the only one putting in any effort or energy. And there's no means of correcting that. You're just kind of like, well, maybe it'll change. You know, like, um, thinking of that, there's a comedian that, like, talks about, like, why don't you just break up with him? Like, I can't, because, like, my CDs are in his truck. Like, (laughs) we come up with all these stupid reasons to stay in relationships, uh, even if they're abusive, or even if they're destructive. Um, and, and all of that has to do with fear. Um, and so I think, um, let's talk about some of those fears, some of the fears in our society. That's one, fear of relationships. Like, how do we see fear of relationships? Mm. Um, well, we don't culture. have a lot of genuine relationships. We're afraid, especially in the dating culture, or not even dating, just the hookup culture. There's that fear of uh, rejection. And so if we just give and say, oh yeah, no, I just, I, it's fine if I just give myself to this person for the one night... Because um, I want to feel connection. Because I, I want to feel, feel connection. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the next day, it was our choice. Both of our choices that we just, you know, went back home and went our separate ways. Um, because there's that fear of rejection and actually genuinely entering into a dating relationship or even a friendship relationship um, that you could potentially just fall apart and break. But if we avoid that completely and we just use each other, <clears throat> then there. You don't have to fear. Yeah. There's that documentary that just came out or is coming out. It's been in a lot of um, uh, stuff I've been reading lately called The Dating Project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all about this professor who recognized in um, the lives of her students that they were just having such a difficult time navigating dating and relationships. And so as an extra credit assignment, she gave them um, a challenge to go on a date with these um, certain stipulations. That the date had to be um, pre-planned. It had to be asked 
um, or initiated in person. You could not text, call, DM, because today it's all about the DM, uh, comment, te- whatever it is. It had to be asked in person. Um, had to be pre-planned. Um, it could only be, I think, two hours. Um, and it could not involve sexual or physical contact, and it could not involve drugs or alcohol. Um, and, and that was, that was it. also like you had to do, like, oh, you could only spend $5 or something. Uh, I don't know if there was a monetary thing. There might be. I'm just, if there is, I was, I'm totally forgetting that. But um, there very well could be. Because yeah. so she wanted to like basically break all of these fears of like or these tendencies that we have that really build non-healthy um, relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like drugs and physical contact. She didn't want or alcohol and physical contact. She didn't want anything um, skewing judgment. Um, intentionality. It needed to be something that you actually took up. The inconvenience, the uncomfortability of going up to someone face-to-face and asking them on a date and you had to call it a date. Um, the actual idea of planning something, of going out and doing something and being challenged by the fact like, are they going to like this? Are they not? Um, you know, and kind of really having that sense of sacrifice or worry and inconvenience. And then um, if the cost one is there, then that and the time as well, those are both like not putting it all out there at, at once, like mm-hmm. not letting, you know, money and extravagance kind of be a language that you're speaking instead of authenticity and really sharing yourself. But also then not feeling like, OK, our first date, we have to learn everything about each other. And I have to know if this person is yeah, the one so by the end of the hours. first date, you know. Yeah. Um, so two hours was the limit. And I think that is just so smart because a lot of the fears we have in relationships come from the habits that have been developed by social media, our lack of interpersonal skills as a culture now because of screens, um, our unwillingness to sacrifice or fail because of the pressure to perform and be perceived as completely on top of everything that social media has made most prevalent. Um, I think those things uh, also bleed into this fear of failure, fear of marriage, um, yes. because people see Gosh. so many marriages ending in divorce and that all has to do with that cycle we were talking about before. Leah Darrow. Um, oh gosh. And I don't remember, you'll probably remember what in reference she was doing. Um, but she had, there was like five reasons why, um, you shouldn't live together or something or mm. you should live. To, I don't remember what exactly it was, but she had done like, number one, he won't marry you. And number two, he won't, or like, do you remember this? No, I don't. Twitter post. Shoot. I'll have to look it up and talk to you guys about it next time. Cause now I just epically, <laughs> I thought, you or you can it. look it up. You can go follow Leah Darrow on Twitter. Cause she's a great person to follow. She is good. Um, but yeah, we have this, we've talked about the fear of parenthood too, but fear of marriage because we see so many broken families in our culture because we've lost the language of love. Um, everything, the language that our culture speaks is a culture of fear. Um, and it's interesting because that is the most repeated phrase in all of scripture. Do not be afraid or fear not, or do not be afraid. All those different variations, 365 times we find them in the Bible. Um, one for every day of the year. So I would say you can be afraid every day except for leap day. Um, but like that, that's something that we cannot, we cannot let pervade our life because it's the one thing that Jesus promises or, um, compels us most frequently yeah it's, i found it you did what is it <laughs> and it it's so it's, um huffington post woman posted six signs it's too soon to move in together and then leah posted on it and said or here are six signs it's too soon to move in together he won't marry you first 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 and it's it's this concept that our society has that if we have to test drive everything. Like we have to yes. go through everything, make sure everything is good, make sure Dip our toe all... in the water, tiptoe, make yeah. sure that nothing is going to be inconvenient. It's very fear driven. And it's, you know, oh, we have to work everything out before or see if it's just too hard. Yeah. And so it is. It's all very fear driven that if <laughs> he won't marry you first. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you have this like, we tend to be more as a culture now, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of this, of being more micromanagers obsessed with detail, completely accept, uh, obsessed with organization and planning. Um, not everybody, but that I think is a lot more prevalent. Um, instead of like type A personalities, we live in like a type A culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, is very difficult to meet that drive, even if you are a type A personality. And then if you're not, it seems like impossible. And I think that is a huge source of anxiety too. Um, we also have fear in the media. Like... 20 years ago, um, there was not this as big of this prevalency of like looming fear 
in everything that's in the news. Mm. You know, like we live in a culture, like people who are um, in Generation Z, like people who were born in after 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. um, they only know a world With. that's a post 9-11 world. They only know a world where terrorism is an everyday word, yeah. violence is an everyday occurrence, um, war is something that is inevitable and constantly going on in the background whether we know it or not. Like this, is, uh, mass shootings are a commonplace Common. thing. You know, whereas I remember when I was a kid, um, there was this um, freeway chase that we were watching live on the news. Um, and um, I was I was so young. This is one of my earliest memories. I must have been five, maybe. Um, and I was watching it with my mom. And this guy got out of his car. He had a gun. He was on the freeway. And he was going to the side as if it looked like he was going to shoot someone. And he put it down on the ground and, like, stepped on the trigger and shot himself. And they caught it on live TV. And then the helicopter oh. backed out very, very quickly and i remember like how shocking and rare and like overwhelming of a situation that was to see at not only as young as i was but i was more taken by the reaction of my mom like my mom was so taken by this because it was something that didn't happen that yeah. often um, or at least it wasn't that prevalent in the media yeah now we fear see everything. is the language of the media you yeah. know um and even in things like politics and issues they want you to believe that the two extremes on the end are the only things that are true mm-hmm. and if one does if your end doesn't happen then here are all the things that are going to happen and you should be totally afraid and and, and completely um, opposed to it because life would basically end as we know it like yeah. that's basically the language of political discourse of all you know media dialogue and it's it's not healthy I'm so grateful for my parents one just for being my parents but two when I I think it was around right after 9-11 happened that my dad we you know it was a common thing in many many households and still today to have your um tv on and the news on in the morning Mm -hmm. and that was something that my parents did and then 9-11 hit and I remember watching it happen and then as everything kind of um began happening after 9-11 my dad made like a a rule in the house that we would not turn the news on like we would just not watch the news Mm -hmm. because you will hear about the things you need to hear about yeah and you know you can read news articles but we don't need to be so inundated with media and the news um and so for me it's very foreign after this um presidency happened to be so sucked in and to see this world that is so invested in these mm-hmm. two people that are uh, fighting for the presidency and how depressed people were and mm-hmm. how freaked out people were yeah. that they thought the world is ending because yeah. this president is now the president or this other president or person that was going to be president is now not our president and like we're going to all die. Yeah. And how people were getting depressed and anxiety yeah. and then we're going to have to see specialists because of it and it's just we are constantly wrapped in this fear i think yes 100 percent from media yeah and from the news i think like it's insane we live in a culture that's so disconnected from god and because of that doesn't know its need for a savior Mm -hmm. and cannot know real authentic love as a result in its fullness and so because of that we place messianic expectations on other things and people and one of the big things we do that in is political figures Mm -hmm. and our president in particular Mm -hmm. and when that doesn't happen oh man the result is basically apocalyptic like we feel like the world is ending because our quote-unquote savior that we put all our trust and our faith in isn't delivering in the way that they promised Mm -hmm. um and fear just pervades completely Mm -hmm. because god and a, a sense of divine purpose to love is completely disconnected to the language we use and how we go about our everyday life. Yeah. Um, another fear we have is a fear of being alone. <laughs> um, I think that's why like people, the fear of missing out is mm-hmm. so, so prevalent. Like um, among young people, but also among young adults, people of all ages, like with the prevalency of social media. I keep using the word prevalent. That's really bothering me. <laughs> it's today's word. Um, it is. Um, it was on my word of the day calendar. No, just kidding. Um, but it's so uh, commonplace for people to just be completely obsessed with social media and stories and posting because they want to be part of the conversation. Like that's how people relate now. And the second that's disconnected, like I know some teens who have gotten their phone taken away 
or have gotten their social media turned off as a punishment or something like that, and they just cannot handle it in the beginning. Um, eventually, it becomes fine. It's like you see you know, it on retreat. Too, yeah, though. I was just gonna say when you go on retreat, <laughs> people are like, I can't service. bring my phone. What am I gonna do? Oh my gosh, they panic. Yeah, and then like night one, they go to bed and they're like all chatting and they're happy yeah. and they're like, oh, let's go to the cabin. And it's like, do you don't you see the benefit of your life being like this all the time? You know, it's but crazy. there's a genuine withdrawal from from social media from all of that that causes <laughs> them to freak out. Yeah. And feel like they're missing out on so much. It's so like ironic that like we feel that if we're not on those things, we're going to be so disconnected. And yet they're the things that causing us to be the most disconnected in our real relationships. You know, what's funny is I was at, I had my girls and guys group last night and I was talking to my girls and we all turned our phones to black and white and we were all going, ew, this is so gross. I don't even (laughs) want to look at my phone. Ew. But that's That's the point. That's the point. And it was good. (laughs) It was so good. Um, but it, it, it's really funny how, uh, the designers of phones and social media, they know. They know how to get you addicted. They know how to withhold just enough likes that people are actually liking your stuff and then yes. shoot it all at you that makes you addicted to it. Um, they totally know how to work yeah. our brains and make us addicted to these, these stupid little yeah. square I mean, the things. first color your brain sees and recognizes is red. And that's why all those notification numbers on your phone are red. That's why all fast food signs have red and yellow in them because those are the first two food. colors your eye sees. And now they trigger those emotions, those hunger emotions. Yeah. And it becomes a hunger for attention on your phone. But um, also just in that, like that's why they always say you shouldn't paint your kitchen yellow or red because you'll always be hungry. But um, Mom. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's so, it's so crazy. Um, we have a fear of death, a fear of dying as a result. I think that's always been prevalent, but I think more yeah. so. And we equate our other fears to a fear of death. Um, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who um, pointed out that more people fear public speaking than they do actual dying. And so at a funeral, people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Um, oh my gosh. It's like a, a, a famous like joke that he made. Um, but yeah, it's we, we fear not, not just physical death, but like in a sense, social death. Yeah. Um, and that has to do with that fear of being alone, that fear of failure, that fear of relationships, like um, fear of... Fear of if anyone saw the real us, they wouldn't like us, you know? (laughs) And so everything is fake. Everything is lukewarm. And that's really, you know, because you can be totally, totally real or can be completely um, filled with lies. And people can see right through both of those. Mm -hmm. They can know when you're being completely authentic and when you're being completely um, a liar and they just kind of like, oh, they lie all the time. That person's a compulsive liar and you go on living. Or that person's super authentic and I love being around them. But when someone is being fake, like just fake, like presenting a false sense of self, um, not so much being like a complete liar, but just like making these little distortions because it's more comfortable. And it's really not like, oh yeah, I'm a superhero in my spare time. It's more <laughs> like they make a little lie to make something that's true seem a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the people that I find like in my own experience, the most difficult to trust. Mm-hmm. If I know that someone is always going to lie, I'm just not going to believe anything that they say. And I can go along interacting with them and just be like, okay, this person's kind of entertaining to talk to because like, you can't believe anything that they say, but you know, sure, I'll be, I'll go grab coffee with them or whatever. But if someone is just being totally fake and presenting, you know, like these twists, these distortions because of, of their fear, just this desire to be liked and accepted, um, then that's completely different, you know? It's like um, how kids make up stuff all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're like, that kid's a jerk, I never want to hang out with that kid. You're mm-hmm. just like, that's their imagination, you're relegating it to that. But when people are lying out of that sense of fear and that mm-hmm. sense of desiring to be accepted or presenting a false self because they they don't believe their authentic self would be really accepted, that's when I think we're really averse to those types of personalities most, mm-hmm. you know? Um, And the other fear, the last fear that I think is very prevalent, and there are probably plenty more we totally didn't even touch on. Yeah, there's a lot. But I think the fear that um, God will not fulfill our expectations. Yeah. And so we have these unrealistic expectations about non, about things that don't associate with God. And I think this is most prevalent in like Mr. and Mrs. Wright, you know, Mr. Wright's out there, Mrs. Wright's out there. And these are all the qualities that they have. And if you were to look honestly at that list and look at the characteristics, 
they probably only accurately describe Jesus. Like, you know, perfect, like always goes to church, like super faithful. Except for like. You know, like, uh, except for maybe like. Great legs. Yeah, those, well, we don't know. Actually, Jesus might have been about 5'11". And the average height was like 5'5", you know. Yeah, could be great legs. Yeah, he could have had some decent legs. Wow. (laughs) So, that's what we're talking about. Um, You know. He does. He's resurrected. He has Great a glorified smile. body. So, you know, I'm sure he is, he is awesome. Um, but that, I think, is something that I, I hear about a lot, too. You know. Um, so, um, this series is all about these oppositions. You know, hate is not the opposite of love. They are both opposing actions, but they are both action. <laughs> the inaction, the most distorted virtue... Not virtue. The most distorted quality or version um, of love, the thing that's most diametrically opposed to it, is fear. Mm. And so it's an opportunity to really ask ourselves, like, am I authentically loving in my life? Um, Let me look at my relationships and how am I letting fear rule my life? My decisions. My ideas of what I need to accomplish or do with my future. My ideas about my vocation and my relationship. Um and so I think a good example of this is the saint that we're talking about today. So, Jenna, who's our saint? He's a blessed. A blessed? He's not a saint. He's a not blessed. Yet. Not yet. On the way. Yet. He's on the way. But blessed Bartolo Longo. Um, he was born in 1841 and he died in 1926. Oh, so he lived recently, pretty recently. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Um, but he was born on February 10th to a very wealthy family in a small town in Italy. And... His family was a very, very, very devout Catholic family, but when he was 10, his mother died. And so this caused him to pull away greatly from his faith, and he went off to study at university, and as we say today, um, college is the culture of death, so... He pulled away so greatly that he um, entered into a pagan faith and actually... um, was ordained a Satanist priest, which is crazy. And so um, there was actually at that time a very, very great movement for people to pull away from the Catholic faith, which is really interesting. And so he got swept up in that. Um, so he was ordained a Satanist priest, and he decided that it wasn't that wasn't enough, but he had to go and publicly ridicule Christianity. And so... From that, he was able to convince a lot of Catholics to leave the church. But within this time of his life, which he thought was going to bring him some kind of joy, he actually (laughs) entered into a lot, a lot, a lot of depression, anxiety, paranoia. Is this, you know, really, really, dude, you really thought this could be a joy? (laughs) Come on. Um, Confusion and a lot of nervousness. And so this thought, oh my gosh, I can't talk. You can do it. This caused him. <laughs> come on, brain, child, stop sucking all my energy. Um, this caused him to seek out a Dominican priest. And so um, at that time, he was actually... Can we just imagine being that Dominican priest for a second? Poor man. And like a satanic priest comes in and is like, hey, bro, I need to talk. And you're like, uh... About what? What, <laughs> <laughs> what are you bringing in this room? Because poor... Um, I mean, I just had confessions Bartolo. with Ethel for an hour who just like, you know, makes bad mar- remarks at her neighbor. And now this guy's... Sorry. No, Continue. no. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I would be freaked out too because um, he was actually being... Um, having like a lot of demonic obsession happening in his life. And so it really freaked him out and it caught, duh, dude, you're Satanist. Like, come on. Um, it caused him to go chase after this Dominican priest. Um, and that's like, I'm a Christian, but I never expect Jesus to show up in my life. You know, I'm a Satanist, but I never expect those bad things to happen. (laughs) His dad had passed away too. And so he heard his dad calling out to him and saying, return to God. Wow. Yeah. So it really, he just was like, all right, I'm done. And so he, he met Father Alberto, who helped him um, abandon Satan and reclaim his life. And he was passing by um, a chapel at the time when he was trying to make this conversion. And he said, as I pondered over my condition, I experienced a deep sense of despair and almost committed suicide. Then I heard an echo in my ear of the voice of um, Father Arboto repeating the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
If you seek salvation, promulgate the rosary. This is Mary's own promise. These words illuminated my soul. I went to my knees. If it is true, I will not leave this valley until I have propagated your rosary. And so this pushed him to actually go back and go to a seance and stand in the middle of the seance and raise up a medal um, of rosary and say, I renounce spiritism because it is nothing but a uh, maze of error and falsehood. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Let me just walk out of here now. (laughs) His seance is done. Um, And so it caused him to do all these things and uh, he ended up actually marrying and him and his wife, um, they started a rosary group and then they decided that that wasn't good enough, but they needed to um, build a, rebuild a church a really, 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 really broken down church. And within that church, a um, a sister actually gave them a... <laughs> he describes it as a really, really ugly um, image of Mary and, like, two saints. He was like... <laughs> he says, not only was it worm-eaten, but the face of the Madonna was that of a coarse, rough country woman. <laughs> a piece of canvas was missi- missing just above her head. Her mantle was cracked. Nothing need be said of this hideous other figures, which were St. Dominic and um, St. Rose. And so he ended up switching it to St. Catherine of Siena, which is hilarious. But he ended up making and um, rebuilding this image and putting it in the church that he rebuilt. And within, like hours of it being presented in the church people started flooding in and miracles started happening wow yeah so he brought a lot of people to the faith um and a lot of people began pilgrimaging to this place um and causing uh, a lot of people to come to jesus and a lot of miracles to happen but bartolo he ended up passing away a saintly death and he's still in the process of becoming a saint. But it's really, really beautiful just because I know we had said um, hate's not, not the opposite of love. But I think his fear of losing people caused him to hate God so infinitely oh, yeah. and so <laughs> greatly. Um, and it was this easy transition for him to yeah. flip back and be um, recognizing that Christ hasn't left him that that he desperately needed the joy in his life, but how um, his fears of loss and um, his hate for the church were so incredibly great because of this loss of his mother, because I'm sure he lost his... They don't say when his father died, but um, they pushed him to the opposite end of of Jesus, (laughs) chasing after Satan, which is so crazy. Yeah, but isn't that like the the common story of sainthood, yeah. you know, there's someone who was completely opposed to God, um, or maybe was like, you know, going through the motions, but like yeah. was still doing something. You never hear of like uh, couch potato turned saint. Like you just don't like, couch there's not potato. stories of like, of canonized saints that we talk about. Like they're the Joan of Arcs They're you know, like St. Augustine was a priest in a cult in a man, in the, the cult of the Manichaeans before he became a Catholic priest, before he converted. Like there's a lot of stories like this. When we talked about St. Mary of Egypt, um, I think in one of our early episodes, someone who was yes. um, a, a prostitute and didn't charge money because they loved sex. Like that is someone who is diametrically opposed to the love that God is seeking to give them, but they're still acting. They're still doing something and God can almost redirect that easier then he can try and cause someone to act when they are surrounded by complete inaction. And so I think Bartolo is such a great example to us. Um, Read up on him. He has an awesome story um, and an example to us of what it looks like um, to really pursue God, even in the midst of feeling like you are completely opposed to him, um, but not letting fear cause you to be Mm -hmm. inactive. Well, he also learned what the complete opposite of God was, which I think is so incredible because he learned who satan was yeah and the darkness that that brings and the depression that that brings um and the lies that he was fed yeah through that satan but i think the difficult truth is to realize that for those of us who are lazy or complacent in our faith based on that scripture verse i'd rather you be hot or cold Mm -hmm. there are satanists out there that are closer to god than we are yeah because of that very verse and that is or closer to god's desire than we are 
And that is pretty terrifying. And so to ask ourselves, how am I putting my faith into action today? How am I authentically loving? And most of all, how is fear compelling me not to act? So until next time, please like, follow, subscribe on social media, rate and review this podcast on whatever app or means you're listening to it. Uh, And feel free to support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. But until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye.